0: Thank you for joining me for another episode of Sweet Discernment. I'm your host, Sharon Sade. Most of you have found me from my YouTube, the and Sade YouTube channel, or my Patreon, and Sade, or Twitter, also Sharian Sade, or Instagram. You see the theme here, it's my first and middle name. So <laughs> thank you so much for joining me here on my podcast, Sweet Discernment by Sharian Sade, of course. <laughs> um, I'm excited to talk to you today because today's topic was from my sister, Sakia. She actually encouraged me to do an episode on giving yourself a fresh start. And I thought, what an excellent idea at this top of the year. So thank you so much, Sakia Chantel, for recommending. uh, My mom loves alliteration. Can you tell? Sherry and Sade, Sakia Chantel. (laughs) Um, But thank you so much for tuning in. And today we're going to be talking about Having a fresh start right at the top of the year, what could be a better and more timely episode? So let's get into it. Sweet Discernment by Sharon Sade. Thank you once again for tuning in. I really appreciate you listening to my podcast, Sweet Discernment. So I am a person who truly appreciates fresh starts. I have had a number of fresh starts in my life. I've talked about it on my YouTube in the series, The How to Be, where I talked about just kind of starting with very minimal, very few resources and kind of building a life I was really proud of when it really, based on what I had in front of me, I didn't have a whole lot of things in my toolkit. I didn't have a whole lot of things working in my favor and I had to try and figure it out and figure it out. I did. And I just, I believed in myself, but there was still that doubt in the back of my mind where I was just like, I hope this works out, but it does not look likely. I've had a few fresh starts when I became an adult. Life was just very hard to be a young 20-something, an early 20-something person uh, without any support. Um, Life was very hard being a mid-20-something person without a bachelor's degree. I had my associates. And I felt like every time I tried to re-enter into school to get my education, there was just forces beyond my control that always intervened, just bizarre things that deterred me completing my education, my higher education. And when I tell you that has always been a thorn in my side, Um, I thought about going back to school because therapy is something that I've always been very interested in. I got my associates in psychology. I wanted to get my bachelor's and master's in psychology and I wanted to, you know, work toward getting licensed and credentialed and practice. Um, but I work on the administrative side. I became a finance manager and then eventually a finance and operations manager. And then I managed five mental health and behavioral health practices. And I realized that I could help the mental health and behavioral health field with a skill set that was already in my that are already obtained um, and really help practices um, become a lot more streamlined and see more patients give them better care by having the administrative side taken care of therapists were able to focus on the care by and that was their main focus and if you are a therapist or a counselor you know what a benefit that is to have um, to have a very compatible but a very skilled and considerate team working behind you to make sure that the care you give is at its best and that you don't have to do all that other icky stuff <laughs> like the filing of the claims and dealing with the insurance you know, you're able to be your best because the the rest is taken care of. And so I found my calling in that. And, um, and then I just moved into some other areas of working with startups. But the point is, my initial goal was deterred a couple of times. And I had to reroute and I had to start over. Um, my husband and I moved from Texas to Florida while we were still newlyweds. We completely left the nest. We left our Um, connections. We left our network. We left our home that we loved. We we left everything and started over in Florida. And that first year was probably the toughest year I can recall outside of my early twenties. And so I can tell you, I've been hit with some challenges and I've had to reroute and start over. And one of the ways that I did that was by having an open mind and really being open to a fresh start, really being open to change. I have been so many different versions of myself throughout my lifetime. And I can say I've loved every last one of them. And I can admit that I've made a lot of mistakes. Uh, Well-intentioned, but shit, it don't change the impact. I have made a lot of mistakes. But I've also made a lot of, of good and positive energy and put that into this world. And I've also done a lot of good. And I'm a nuanced person. And the only way that I've been able to explore who I am at my core in every phase of life is by giving myself the opportunity to have a fresh start. And a fresh start doesn't always mean starting over. It doesn't mean shedding your possessions and starting over, changing everything about yourself. A fresh start just simply means everything that's happened up to this point doesn't define me. I define me and I'm going into this next phase with this intention and with this in my arsenal. And this is what I'm coming here to do. And seeing to it that you do it that's what a fresh start is. So I love this topic. I was so impressed with my sister for coming up with this, especially at this time of year. And she is at the cusp of a new beginning. And I'm very proud of her and the changes that she's made and the goals that she's setting and and the energy behind what she's doing. She's just got such positive energy right now. And she's got the whole family support behind her making these changes. And it's a great time to be her. And so I thought, yes, I love this topic. It's so relevant because so many of us are at the cusp of different phases of life. That's one of my favorite things about my YouTube is the fact that so many different people from all walks of life, from different age groups, from different races and different locations come together and we just commune. And you would think we were one big family, but we are family because we chose to be together. So I found this article in Psychology Today. Y'all know I live on Psychology Today. (laughs) And the title is The Unexpected Science of Fresh Starts and Failures. Know when to hit the reset button so you can achieve more of your goals. This was written by Nick Hobson, Ph.D., Leandra McIntosh, and Miriam Marashi. Um, And this is, again, on Psychology Today. It starts with... A recent study looked at the effects of fresh starts on performance. The fresh start effect, as it's come to be known, is the idea that a person can disassociate their past performance outcomes from current ones. Temporal landmarks act as a kind of mental reset button to help help us get back on track and get us focused on our most cherished goals. The most common fresh start, January 1st, the start of every new year. It's no coincidence, for instance, that gyms see upward of a 20% boost in memberships at that time. The evidence has generally pointed to the benefits of fresh starts. They motivate a person to do better in achieving a goal, but now this current research tells us that they don't always work. They could actually backfire and make us perform worse, not better. The researchers say it has to do with what comes before the performance reset. Fresh starts are most effective, they suggest, when a person experiences failure before the restart, like how a failed diet plan in the month of December prompts the need for a kale-only food plan starting January 1st. But the evidence of this paper is showing that fresh starts should be avoided if a person's past performance was successful. If a restart is used incorrectly in such instances, it will only hinder future goal-directed behavior. The pros and cons of fresh starts, the study. There were four experiments. In the first, participants took part in 10 one-minute word games where they were paid for every word they generated correctly. Halfway through, they received feedback. To To manipulate the fresh start, the testing group had a reset applied with the last five rounds scored from zero, offering a new starting point. The control group received the same continuous scoring throughout all 10 rounds, And it goes through a number of these experiments and explains how the fresh start method works. But here's the conclusion. The takeaway, fresh starts should be used with care. A person should be more selective in their performance resets and recognize in themselves the difference between their good and bad past performance. If a person has been succeeding and hitting their goals, it'd be wise for them to avoid starting tasks on a temporal landmark. For instance, this can be achieved by exaggerating the nature of a continued goal process and drawing attention to the previous period's reporting and metrics. A person who's doing well thus far on a particular project could, let's say, see Monday not as a new start to the week, but as a regular day that continues from the day previously. Not to condone working overtime on weekends, but it might even help to do a little bit of work on the Sunday. And for those of us lagging behind in our personal and professional goals, no need to worry. January 1st is right around the corner. Now, obviously, this was written at the end of last year. But basically, what I took that to mean was the fact that if you're already doing well, maybe don't see it as a fresh start, but look at it as a continuation of positive results. And you're enhancing upon them. So you're not necessarily getting giving yourself a fresh start, you're kicking it into high gear. And I like that idea. Um, But for those of you or those of us who have had a recent failure, I like that they brought up the the failed diet. December kicked my butt, but it pleased my stomach. And for those of us who have had a failed diet, January 1st served as a kind of landmark to uh, stop playing games, girl. You've got some some, uh, affiliate partnerships around the corner and you need to be looking good in those photos. So um, it's great to have a fresh start when you need it. But it's also okay to recognize when you wanna continue on the path to success that you're already on with your positive results and you just wanna kick it in high gear. So maybe don't look at it as a landmark fresh start and look at it as more of a next phase of already positive process that you're on. But if you're still interested in how do I achieve a fresh start? I have this other article from Psychology Today by Peg Streep and the title is Five Steps to a Fresh Start. And I really like this article. Number one was manage your regrets. All of us will inevitably experience some regret in life. It just comes with the territory of being human. Regret can either sink you at times or of stress or if this if it's processed, can actually act as a flotation device, helping to shape your decisions about your future. There's some debate about whether to paraphrase Robert Frost, human beings tend to regret the road taken or the road not taken more. Famously, Amos Tversky and Daniel Kahn Kahneman, Lord help me out with this word now, Kahneman found in one experiment experiment that when participants considered the situation of two people, both of whom had lost the potential of making $1,200 under different circumstances, one through inaction not buying stock and the other through action selling the stock that became valuable, 92% concluded that the person who had acted by selling the stock would feel more regret than the one who lost the money through inaction. But the work of Thomas Gilovich and Victoria Houston Medvec Medvec, challenged that view, finding in surveys that more people regretted the actions they hadn't taken. Take stock in your regrets. In fact, if you need to, write them down so that you can really look at them. Do they fall into the category of action or inaction? What can you learn about yourself and your future intentions by looking at what you regret? A study by Colleen Saffrey and colleagues showed that regret can be used productively to make sense of where you've been, inform the decisions you're going to make, inform your future actions, and of course, help ensure you don't make the same mistakes again. So, on the topic of managing your regrets, I am a person who does not live with regret, but I do live with my lessons that I acquired from poor decisions. And I have made a number of poor decisions. I have been reactive emotionally. I have been unreasonable, irrational, quick to take action, but slow to to be proactive. Or I should say, (laughs) slow to do research to to act proactively versus being reactive and taking action based on impulse. I've made mistakes. One of the things that I like to do at the end of every year is really take stock of what did I get out of this year and what did I learn this year and what can I do next year that will enhance my positive results? What can I get rid of that will enhance my positive results? And am I acting from a heart centered place and on a conscious level or am I just reducing myself to habits that I've always had and doing things that I've always done and just living a life that doesn't really feel directed, but more so just experienced? And kind of lazily going about it subconsciously or unconsciously living my life. And then looking back at me like, damn, I can't remember the last three days. So um, I look at my, I don't really look at my past experiences as regrets because I know that age old, it made me who I am. No, I could have afforded to miss some of those bad mistakes. I could have afforded to learn the lesson and not make the mistakes. So, um, so no, I'm not one of those people, but I do look back at some of the decisions that I have been like, well, I'm not a fan of that decision. I'm not a fan of doing that action or saying that thing, but I will say this. When it comes to action versus inaction and which one brings more regret when, when negative results are rendered, I'll say this. <laughs> I believe that it is so much easier on me. This is my personal opinion. I would rather regret not saying something than regret saying something. And the reason is, if I didn't say something more often than not, I can always go back and say it later. But if I said something I regret, I can't take it back. And that's a little bit harder. So being reactive, especially as I was back then, I'm not a reactive person now, but before I used to be very reactive and it led to a lot of my bad decisions um, and mistakes. I would react and say what I wanted to say in the moment. And I always kind of had it in the back of my mind that just because I'm in in a heightened state and I'm upset and people will understand that I was upset when it's time to apologize. But that's not always the case. Because if you know what you're doing is wrong, and you know that later an apology will be a quick fix and we'll deal with it, then you don't have any kind of, uh, you don't have any kind of reason to change the behavior. If you know that people will just forgive you because your family or your friends and we always forgive. No, there needs to be accountability. There needs to be a reason to change the behavior behavior. And the goal should be to be a good person and to not harm other people. No matter how you feel, no matter how mad you got, I can say what I want because I'm mad. No, you can't. You need to choose your words wisely. And so for me, I feel like it's a lot easier to go back and a lot better for me to be able to go back and do something I never did or say something I never said than it is to take back those actions or regret what I did do. Because it's a lot easier to fill a void, but it's much harder to remove a, a stump like that or remove a mistake like that. All right, two, deal with your rumination. This is the first one on my list because I used to ruminate a lot and I'm going to give you my opinion at the end, but let's read the article. The adage about crying over spilled milk is true enough, but for many of us, getting off the carousel of repetitive thoughts is hard, if not sometimes impossible. The work of Daniel Wegner on white bears, the thoughts we try to suppress but can't has illuminated the process by which the mind unconsciously searches for the very thoughts we're trying not to. To think about. It turns out that the more we try not to think, the more we'll actually be thinking those thoughts. Rumination is fed by being alone. So one plan is to surround yourself with some folks you trust and talk through your worries. Another suggestion offered by Wagner is to assign yourself a worry time. It can be as long or as short as you wish, but devote yourself to worrying during that time period alone. Consciously focusing on a worry seems counterintuitive, but it too can help. As can meditation. Now, meditation is really what helped me to really get my rumination in line. Uh, Meditation definitely helped me to process and make peace with the things that kept popping up and asking for my attention. And I recognize that that the rumination itself was an intrusive thought. It was disturbing my peace. And it was essentially my mind was attacking me. And so I dealt with it that way. I didn't shame myself for ruminating. I said, what is it in this thing that you haven't made peace with? So whatever thought or usually it was old arguments I had at work where the two that got me the most was when I was called defensive for not wanting to be blamed for things I didn't do. I used to get in, I worked for a sprinkler company in Dallas and I used to get blamed for everything. And they would always just say, I did it. Even when the proof, like anything we did in our system had a name attached. And every time these people would show me a mistake I made and then try to like counsel me, I would be like, we went over this and this wasn't my error. It was such and such, here's his name. And then instead of being like, oh, I'm sorry for that. They <laughs> come down relax it was like this intentional scapegoating of me because i was the new person i was the only black person and i was essentially there to be a common enemy bond person like they they scapegoated me so that they could bond together and they all just chose me to talk about they used to have in office meetings in the middle of the day and shut the door there was a glass office it was called like a bullpen it was a glass office so i could see everyone in the meeting all of the ladies in my department would get together, including the boss, and talk and shut the door and would not let me in. That is abusive. <laughs> so those memories of that kind of bullying, it really did, uh, it, I would ruminate on it. And so I talked to my therapist and I told her, like, I finally asked myself, what is the issue? What, like, What is it about this incident that you can't make peace with? And she said, I think that's an excellent question. Did you answer it? And I said, no, I haven't answered it. And we worked on that for like three sessions. And it finally just became apparent that I have a real hard time dealing with things that cannot be explained, dealing with things that don't have a, a logical reason behind it. I tried to reason as if well, I was new, maybe they were talking about things that I wasn't that I wasn't supposed to be exposed to. But the way they had been treating me, it didn't align with that. And one of the women who were in the office had only been there 30 days more than me. So it didn't make sense. Um, and they intentionally did it because there was no like, hey, Sharon, I just want to chat. We, we talked about this or there was no like reconciling to make sure I was OK. It was almost like we're going to try to get her to quit. And. Later, a lot of their actions did align with that. It seems like I was brought on to be like the the scapegoat and the common enemy bond person. And then the intent was to kind of frame me and let me go so that they could go back down to uh, one, two, three, five people. Um, But my work was really good. And I think they had a lot of trouble because I didn't just take things lying down. And so when I was laying out all the facts, I was like, I didn't even care to be friends with these people, but I don't like hostile work situations. I also didn't provoke any of them. And anytime I even had a a rational response to anything, and I chose my words carefully, I maintained my calm, I did everything on my end, they still treated me this way and I couldn't figure it out because I consider myself to be a very pleasant person. I definitely tried my best to create a positive environment and build relationships with these people. And I just couldn't make sense of why they wanted to treat me this way. And she said, I think you just nailed it. People are subject to their own free will for whatever reason and whatever motivation they had, it was their choice to treat you that way. And there was nothing you could do about it. And you didn't bear any responsibility in that situation. And it's okay to let go. It's okay to not have an apology or an answer because some things don't have a black and white answer. And it was so hard for me to accept that people can truly just not wanna be around you. People can truly not like you. There's nothing you can do To change how people see you. And there was so much power in that. That rumination was tough because I was always asking, like, what could I have done? What can I have done? Because I'm a problem solver. Most of the people who probably ruminate are problem solvers because they're trying to analyze every situation. Like, what could I have done to improve? What did I do to create? What did I do to provoke? And sometimes the answer doesn't lie within us. What we're responsible for is accepting. Some people are just not gonna like you. Some people are going to choose how they treat you. Some bosses are shitty bosses and we just got to let go. We have to be more discerning in the next role. So that's something that I did. I would ask a lot more questions about culture and company culture and 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 the environment and the morale of the company before I would join. And that was how I really it helped me to stop ruminating because I was able to find a way to use that experience productively. And essentially that was why I was ruminating. I was always trying to find that nugget of productivity in it, that nugget of help what was this for it was never about understanding those people as shitty as they were it was always about me what is my experience it definitely toughened me up to be okay with people not liking me and then now that i have a youtube that has never become in handy more (laughs) okay so yes get your rumination in check get a therapist it does wonders Three, think about your new goal in abstract terms. This strategy is offered by Charles Carver and Scheer in their classic book on self-regulation and is, I think, brilliant in its simplicity. They write that, quote, if one path is barricaded, people need to be able to jump to another. Thinking about your goal in abstract terms, moving away from the specifics of the situation to a more nuanced and deeper understanding of your wants and needs can help push you forward. I'm adapting here from an example Carver and Share gave. Say you are starting over from the ending or loss of a close relation, of a close relationship or marriage. While finding another partner or spouse may seem impossible in the moment, recognizing that what you really want is the experience of closeness. It shifts your vision and opens up new possibilities for action. Similarly, if you're starting over in the area of career, focusing on what you really want in the future, work in a supportive environment with lots of collegial contact or alternately work independently and make your own hours, It'll help you clarify your goals and make it easier to figure out the best strategy to achieve them. Number four, adopt the right mindset. Listen to that one again. Adopt the right mindset. (laughs) If your mindset can be boiled down to, quote, full steam ahead, you're not being nuanced enough. This is one is beating me up because that's often my mindset. I wake up and I'm like, get them, get them, get them, get (laughs) them. That's how I attack my day. Thinking about and planning your goals requires one mindset and actually achieving your goal another, as work for Peter Gawitzer has shown. The first mindset is deliberative and it's open-minded so you can weigh your choices and strategies and gather all the information you need to pursue your goal. It's at this point that you'll want to network, solicit other opinions, and determine feasibility. The deliberate mindset is, above all, realistic. In contrast, the implemental mindset is focused on action. Optimism is important at this stage, even though it can make you overstate your chances of success because you need the optimism to charge ahead. But by focusing, you can shift from one mindset to the other, depending on the circumstances. This is where consciousness of not just what you're thinking about, how you're thinking about really matters. Let's say that your approach, despite your best efforts, isn't working that's a signal to get out of the implemental, mind, implemental mode and switch back to the deliberative mindset so that you can reconsider all of your options. So it's essentially being realistic enough to set your goals and optimistic enough to actually go for it. Lastly, motivate yourself. I know it can be really hard to do this one because often we're like, I'm doing the right thing. Why aren't people helping me? Why aren't people cheering for me? Why aren't people rooting for me? It's because the real needed help that you're gonna need to get to your goals isn't in being motivated, it's in being disciplined. Everything falls back on discipline. Motivation is great because it gives us that jump start; It's a spark plug, it gets us going. But discipline is, key, is what keeps us going. Discipline helps us to honor ourselves and discipline helps us to make sure that our goals are about us and not about the appearance to others. So by motivating yourself, you're taking the power away from anyone around you And you're putting the power solely in your control. Now, the process itself is not going to be 100% in your control, but how motivated and how dedicated you are is definitely going to be within your control. So that's just my little tidbit. I'll have more, but let's go ahead and read the paragraph. Harness your energy by focusing on the things you've done that have put you in what Millie, oh my God, I'm not going to say this this word because I don't want to butcher this person's name, but Mahaley C. has called flow. What is flow? Can you recall a time when you were doing something and you totally lost track of time, felt completely immersed in what you were doing and at the same time felt a great sense of satisfaction and meaningfulness? That in a nutshell is flow. Be creative as you begin to think about what you want to do next and get a, and get a bead on the things you do that put you in flow. Flow can be achieved through many activities, gardening, knitting, writing, playing sports, helping others and almost anything else. And try to think about those activities in more abstract terms. What parts of them put you in flow? Is there a way of incorporating some of those experiences into what you're going to be doing next? Now, both of these articles that I've talked about are in the are linked in the description of this episode, so feel free to check them out. But I love the idea of getting into flow, um, having that synergy with the environment around you, with the people around you, and just getting into that dedicated space of pushing through and getting into that, that groove. I call that a groove when all things are working together so that I feel like I'm plugged in. That is what I consider to be flow. Overall, achieving your goal isn't just about how you get there, how you how you um, start the process. It's not even really about how you continue with it. It's really trying to stick that landing no matter what is thrown at you. It's really easy to get thrown off track when you're trying to develop a new habit, when you're trying to get yourself to the next level, when you're essentially trying to start your fresh start. The fresh start part is easy. It's easy because we can we can start from where we are. We can create this great moment of grandeur and say, jumping into the next phase, I'm going to do this, me, 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 <laughs> whatever the case. But it's maintaining that throughout. And that's why I say overall, the best, the best remedy for a fresh start or the best help to a fresh start isn't the start itself. It isn't the motivation. It's the discipline. So I encourage anyone who is deciding to have a fresh start. What's been, what's been helpful for me In addition to the tips in these in these articles, what's been helpful for me was knowing that I was worth it. You are worth it. You're worth whatever that goal is. You're worth whatever that journey is. It's tough, but I can speak for myself when I say every day I wake up and I'm just grateful. I actually do a meditation that I call the gratuity meditation, the gracious meditation, and I just sit there and I, I meditate. But I meditate on what I'm grateful for. I don't even really try to manifest anything. I don't try to manifest my goals. I don't try to, I don't really, I don't really harness it for that. I just sit and I meditate on how grateful I am for where I am, for who I am, for what I am, what I have, what I've acquired, what I've achieved, what I've overcome, what I've been able to be loved by, and what I've been able to love, who I've been able to love. All of the love that is in my life, surrounding me, inside of me, coming in and out of my eyes, my nose, my ears, my mouth, my soul, my heart. There's love flowing around and within me the spirit of love, the spirit of my family, my loved ones from my family, the spirit of my ancestors, the spirit of those who have passed on and are still here are all focused on loving one another. And part of that is me. One of those people is me. And I am blessed to be loved by the people that I am loved by. I am blessed to be able to love those people. I'm grateful. I often look at the fact that my dog, my schnauzer, my baby, Romeo Laquan Amache Quadrilateral Brooks Conley. He's 12 years old. You can't tell me I'm not blessed. (laughs) You can't convince me I'm not blessed. God loves me. My dog is 12. I've needed my dog for every second of his 12 years on this earth. He has been a constant light in my life. He could have been with anybody and God put him in his path to meet me and to be with me and to bless my life. I sit every morning with my dog in my life, and I thank God for letting him live to see 12, for letting his 12 years up until this point be with me, for putting me in a position to take care of him in the way that he deserves. And even when I couldn't, I made a way. For him being my purpose sometimes, because when I was having some pretty dark ideations, I couldn't just leave him. Who was gonna take care of him? He didn't do anything wrong. I can't just leave him to the world. And sometimes that was more than enough of a reason to fight for not just him, but for myself. And thankfully I have come so far, but I'm grateful for him and his little kisses with that little dirty beard. (laughs) And when he's being loud and doing zoomies when I'm trying to sleep, I'm grateful because the house could be quiet. When I walk into my living room, is it the house that I want? Is it the big monster 8,000 square foot mansion that I, you know, I still kind of dream about? I'm not going to lie. Not yet. It's a townhouse, but it's mine. It's my husband's. And I get to walk through knowing, can't nobody put me out. Can't nobody come in here and yell at me because they're having a bad day. Can't nobody make my life miserable because their life is miserable. No one can kick me out because they feel like it. No one can tell me, oh, I drove your car, I wrecked it. And they're not gonna get it fixed because they don't have the money. And neither do I, even though I'm in school and I'm interning and I'm barely making ends meet. But now I have car repairs and I need my car to get to my internship because it's the only source of income I have. Although it's not nearly enough to get this car fixed. No one can do that to me anymore. Every time I go pick up my key and I hit that little BMW symbol, beep, beep, it opens. (laughs) Every time. The gas hand is where I need it to be every time because I put the gas in it and can't nobody drive my car without my consent or give it away or leave disgusting things in it because they're trying to assert their dominance. Nobody can do that to me anymore. (laughs) Nobody can wreck my car anymore (laughs) because nobody can drive it, but me because it's mine. (laughs) Um, And not only that, but every morning I get to see the face of someone who loves me unconditionally. And every afternoon I get to see the face of someone who loves me unconditionally and would never in a million years do anything to hurt me. And when they do make mistakes, that happened to hurt me. Notice the difference there. They don't hurt me on purpose, but when they do manage to hurt me, they're truly remorseful because the end goal is to create a life where their partner is happy. And when they don't get to do that, they change, they remediate, they take action because they care. I don't have to justify my humanity to the person I live with. And that is the best part of my life. No longer having to justify why I deserve to be loved simply because I'm here. I don't have to earn that. I don't have to fight for it. I don't have to watch that love given freely to people around me who are in the exact same position as me as that role pertains to that person, yet they get loved and I don't. I don't have to wonder what's wrong with me because they treat everyone else with respect and I'm the scapegoat, I'm the joke, I'm the the person that they dump on to make themselves laugh. I don't have to do that anymore. And so I sit in my gratuity meditation and my graciousness meditation and I thank God for delivering me, for giving me whatever idea I had to change my life, for giving me the tools to change myself, for giving me the experience to open my mind and walk into a life that I can be proud to be in. I don't have anything to prove and I don't have anything to lose From being my best self, being my true and authentic self, I get to wake up as me. I don't have to walk through the living room and be like, okay, try to look like you are happy so people don't be like, what's wrong with you? Why you got an attitude and people won't antagonize you. I don't have nobody writing down every time I go to the refrigerator and talking about everything I eat. I don't have anybody mad because a sunflower seed came out of the napkin and is on the carpet. And instead of just throwing it away or telling me to come pick it up, they go have a team huddle about it. I don't have anybody where I live that goes and has dinner together as a family and says, why don't you take this $20 and go find you something to eat? Although I'm family too. Although I was family first, I don't have those experiences anymore and I've healed from those. I can remember them without feeling triggered. I can remember them without pitying myself. I can remember them without feeling the hurt because I've moved past it. God has given me the strength to heal myself. God has given me the strength to seek help from a therapist and has given me the open-mindedness, the discipline and the dedication to stick with therapy, to do what I needed to do and to surpass and overcome the things I needed to surpass and overcome so that I could be my best self. And I'm still not done. I'm my best self at this phase. But if I'm like this right now, I can't imagine where I'm gonna be at my next level. It's always gonna be time for a fresh start because every few years I wanna regenerate something new, positive, productive in my life. Progress always forward. And so instead of manifesting the new, I'm grateful for what is. I'm grateful for my current blessings because I'm a very blessed person. I have a niece and a nephew. If you knew my niece and nephew, you would be like, I don't have bad days. Bad things have happened. I've had bad moments, but I don't have bad days. (laughs) And I've waited 35 years to get to this point. I don't have bad days. I get to be an Amy. I have nieces and nephews galore. Two biological, 11 through my marriage. I am blessed. And this ain't a brag. This is a testimony. I'm blessed. And I sit in that every morning and I give myself 30 minutes to say, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. I don't deserve, but thank you so much. So when I do get new stuff (laughs) on top of all of that, on top of knowing what I already have when I'm blessed again and again and again, and I open my phone and I see Somebody left me a nice comment in my YouTube app or I open my phone and somebody asked me a question on Twitter when I open open my mind and I meet people outside, even with the kids who were ding-dong ditching. I met their parents and I had a good conversation with the parents. (laughs) I made friends. I'm blessed. Anything I get on top of that is like a cherry on top and another cherry and another cherry and another cherry. If you're looking for a fresh start, let me tell you what I did. I started right where I was. I didn't look forward. I didn't disassociate and say, I'm just going to operate as if I'm already in the future. I'm going to keep my mind focused on the future. I stopped where I was, looked at what my feet were standing on, looked at where my hands were, looked at where my mind was, looked at what my eyes rested on, where did my words flow to? And I found things to be grateful for right now, right now. I'm grateful right now. It put me into a mindset of consistently being happy for every breath that flowed in and out of my body, being happy that I can use my limbs. I can use my voice. I can see through my eyes and hear through my ears. I can smell through my nose and taste good food. I can taste chocolate milk in the morning. (laughs) I can taste hot chocolate on Christmas day. I'm alive. I might not have perfection, but dang, i got a blessed life. Now somebody might say, well, you still got that popcorn ceiling you've been meaning to remove. <laughs> Every time you get your dog groomed and spend over a hundred dollars, he likes to run around and play in the mud. <laughs> Somebody like might like to say once a week, your husband might say, Hey, Sharon, can I take your car since it's bigger and I have to haul some things Depend on what you hauling and where, for how far you going. <laughs> but he asks, some people might say, Hey, Sharon, you're on a deadline for five videos and you have zero motivation to get out of bed today. Somebody might say those things and I might look at them and say, thank God I get to be alive, to have those experiences, good or bad. Thank God I'm here. So if you're looking for a fresh start, take a moment and stop and thank the creator. If you're not a believer, no offense to you, nothing against you. You are welcome here. Thank the universe. Whatever forces that you believe brought you here, thank them. I'm here. Because you deserve it, and I'm rooting for you. Thanks for listening, and good luck on your fresh start this year. Let's make it a bang of 2023, y'all. Sweet Discernment by Sharon Sade.